So we're continuing through our sermon series called The Answer That Changes Your Life. And that whole series began with a simple question. Who do you say Jesus is? That really is the most basic fundamental question that we need to answer in order to experience who Jesus really is in our life. Because the way that we answer that question, whether he's just a good moral teacher, whether he's just a mythical figure, whether he's just some deist God that is out there that perhaps there's some superstitious stuff that has to do with some spirituality, the way that we answer that question determines our experience of faith our experience of Jesus Christ in our life. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist preparing the way, and the way that he was preparing for us was repentance. And we understood that in order for us to experience God in our life and to know who he is, there's something that usually gets in the way. It's our pride, it's our self-righteousness, it's our arrogance, it's our own control that we want to have in our life. And what John was inviting all the religious leaders and all the people of uh, Judea region towards was he's saying, repent. Lay down these things. you got to let go of some of the things that are holding on to you in terms of your life, in terms of what you want it to be, your own agenda. He says, let it go so that you may really encounter Christ, not who you want God to be. We were challenged in two ways to chip away at our pride and our arrogance in our life. And the first one, he says, is keep on confessing. So it's a chip away process. It's not a one-time deal. It needs to keep on happening where we keep on confessing to God as he takes more and more areas of our life. We say, God, help me with this area of my life that I'm struggling with. And then he says, not only do we keep on confessing, he says, then produce fruit that's consistent with your repentance. In other words, we can fool ourselves. We can just say, God, I'm sorry, but then we can just go about living our own life the way that we've always lived it. He says, that's not repentance. That's just words that has no transformative power in our life. He says, repent, but also produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's where we're going to start off today as we try to figure out, okay, this answer that changes everything about our life. We first understood that repentance needs to happen and then we need to produce fruit in that, um, that shows that repentance happening. So what is that fruit? What is that thing that we need to start doing? And although there's a lot of things that we could go through, today I just want to mention two. These two things that we see as Jesus went on the Sermon on the Mount and began to teach his disciples and all these people who Jesus was, what this kingdom of heaven was all about, and what they could experience because of it, um, among all of the teachings, I just want to focus on two uh, this morning. And the two, it comes from Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read about the first one. And you're, most of you are very, very familiar uh, with this passage, but let's read it together. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 13. Matthew 6, verse 5 to 13. I'll be reading uh, from the NIV. Feel free to follow along on screen or in your own Bibles. It reads this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for giving us your word. And as we journey through it, Father, we need ears to hear. We need a heart that understands. We need a mind, Father, Lord, that gets what you're trying to say to us. And I know, Father, sometimes our own issues, our own barriers, our own challenges, it gets in the way. But today, Father, I pray, may your word penetrate through all of those defenses, all of those walls, all of our, our hurts, all of our barriers, Lord. May it penetrate through to, because we know that you are a good God. We know, Father Lord, that you don't share things with us to bring us down. You do it, Father Lord, to build us up. And I pray, Father, as, as it may hurt at first or as it may challenge us at first, Help us, Father Lord, to get through that initial discomfort so that we may see that you are good, that we may see who you really are, that we may experience the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our everyday life. Thank you, Father. We commit this word into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we all know the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's actually, it's, it would be more accurate to describe it, not as the Lord's Prayer, but as the disciples' prayer. Jesus gave this prayer for the disciples to use and saying, this then is how you should pray. But there are three things that lead up before that disciples' prayer that Jesus gives to all the people. There's three things that he lays the foundation for. This is what I want you to know about some tendencies that we have about prayer that may make prayer ineffective, that may make prayer, um, may make prayer like uh, something that we don't want to do in our life. So here are the first, here are the first three things he, he lays. The first thing that he says is when you pray... He says, don't be a hypocrite in verse 5. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be a hypocrite. They love standing on street corners. They love uh, saying all of these nice, lengthy prayers to make everyone think that they are close with God to make themselves feel more religious, more righteous than what they actually are. You see, the general concept here was he wasn't just talking about arrogance. Don't be arrogant. Don't try to be this, you know, self-pious person impressing other people. The main thing that Jesus was giving through this example was he's saying the Pharisees, they pray and they keep on praying. But the reason why it's ineffective is because they're hypocrites. They're praying for a different motive. Not for the motive in connecting with God. You know, in the same way, when I look at 
my own prayer life and why sometimes it feels so bland or why it doesn't feel as powerful. Sometimes, isn't it true that we have a tendency of being a hypocrite in our own prayer lives as well? What do I mean by this? Well, sometimes in our prayer life, although there is earnestness in our prayer, although we come to God and we say, God, I want this or I want you to do this, it's almost like we're just trying to convince God to give me something that I really want. But my ultimate outcome is not to get to know him, not to be filled by him, not to experience him in my life, but to get my agenda. Does this sound familiar to you? Did some of us ever pray, God, if you give me this, I promise I'll change. Right? Just this one time, God, help me out with this, and I promise from now on I'll change. Some of us say, God, if you help me with this issue, I will go to church from now on. Or how about, God, if you provide me this, I promise I will begin to believe in you. You see, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in that. And the temptation for hypocrisy is, is large. Because although as earnest as we may be at that moment, we need to ask ourselves, what is our motivation driven by? Is it driven to simply get this at this moment? Because are we serious about what it takes to want to change in our life? Are we serious about trying to connect with God? It's not about going to church. It's actually about trying to connect with God more. It's not about believing in God. It's about following what he has to say, even when, it's diff when it differs from our reality. See, we, we're called not to get thea, uh, theatrical in our relationship with God. And sometimes prayers, uh, prayer, our prayers do that. Where in that very last moment when we pray, you know, we kind of like put God on the spot. And we say, only if you provide me for this, I promise I'll change. But it's an unfair prayer. And the reason why is because what we're saying is, God, if you don't provide this, we put God in a bad relationship with us. Because if it's not provided suddenly, we turn towards God and saying, why didn't you help me? Why didn't you do this for me? You see, everything is driven by our agenda. And anything that we think about God is determined whether he gives me that thing that I want or not. And a lot of times our, our prayer life or our experience of God and our disappointment of God is all determined because we put, we put all of these ultimatums on God saying, I need this, and if you don't provide it, I won't believe in you. That's hypocrisy. Because we're not really trying to believe in God. We're trying to just strong arm him, twist his arm to get what we want. Jesus says, first of all, don't treat prayer in that kind of way. Don't be a hypocrite. Just be honest with God. And be willing to journey with him. The second thing that Jesus mentions about prayer here is he says, get past your reality. He says, and when you pray, go, to your, go into your room, close the door so that no one sees you, and then pray in by yourself to the Father who is, and he says, unseen. Why does he say that? Why does Jesus suddenly say, pray to your father who is unseen? He could have just said, go into your private room and then pray to God your father. But he specifically uses the word unseen. And then later on, he also says, and the father who sees you will answer your prayer. You see, sometimes 
the way that our prayer life works, I'm not sure if you've ever done this before, but I'm sure most of you guys have. You went into your room knowing that you need to pray. You close the door, and then you're praying by yourself, but then there's just this eerie silence. You, you almost have to push back thoughts in your head saying, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> what am I doing? Does God really hear me? Like you're trying to pray, and the room is just this empty space, and you're looking to your ceiling, and there's nothing there. There's nothing around you, and you're trying to pray a prayer that's supposed to be serious. You're trying to pray a prayer that's supposed to connect with God or, or trying to do something, but you can't see anything. All you see is your reality. Here's my room. Here are my things. Where is God? I don't feel God's presence in this place. God's not showing up. And Jesus says, I know prayer feels like that at times. He says, keep going into your room. And as, as important as these things are, and as tempted as we are not to keep on praying that, he says, keep on doing it, praying to your Father who is unseen. Because this is what Jesus says. As much as your reality tells you that this doesn't matter, that what you are practicing isn't making a difference, Jesus says it is because God sees you. Your Father sees you. It feels like you're by yourself. It feels like it's not making any impact. Jesus says, no, it's making an impact. God sees you. The Father sees you. And the Father who sees you, he says, he will answer you. That's the promise. There's something that is happening as we keep on going to God in prayer. We're breaking through our lens of reality. It's this mindset of always saying, but my reality or what I see here doesn't show that God exists. And goes, yes, that's the problem. And Jesus says, that's the wall that you have to break through. You have to keep on doing this so that you begin to see God's hand at work in your life. The third thing, the third thing that Jesus says before going into the disciples' prayer, he says, God your Father already knows what you need. And your Father, who already knows what you need, he says, will give you everything that you require. Why does Jesus say that before giving the Lord's Prayer? Because he knows, Jesus knows, our main motivation, our main tendency in our prayer life is to make it agendas. Think about the last time you prayed. Do you guys remember what the content of your prayer was? Was it not about, I need this? Did it not have some form of, God, do this for me, or help me with this, or give me better health, or give me uh, a better job, or give me, you know, a peace with these relationships? Isn't it like a list of things that we need. Now think about it. How about the majority of our prayer life? Doesn't it feel like that list of things that we need? Jesus doesn't diminish that. He doesn't say, stop doing that. That's evil. You're, you're so selfish. You're all just about yourself. No. He says, your father knows it. He already knows what you need. And he cares about what you need. Jesus is making, making sure that the disciples understand that before you pray, he says, I want you to know this. You know everything that's in your heart that you're trying to rattle off and hoping that God hears you, hoping that God will provide, hoping that God uh, gives you all of these things. He says, God already knows and he cares about it. He wants us to know that even before we go into prayer. So why does Jesus do this 
at the very end, right before the Lord's Prayer, because the, Lord's, the, the disciples' prayer that he teaches, it transforms the way that we pray. He says, now that you know that even before anything is on your lips in terms of what you need, in terms of what you want, now that you know that God cares about those things too, with that anxiety and with that kind of like desire of, I need God to know this or I need to pray this, he says, he, he knows and God cares about it. So it lessens our anxiety. So as that is pushed aside for now, he says, this then is how you should pray. This is our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, I, I want you guys to think about this. Jesus moves our mind and our prayer perspective from insular, from about me, from I need this at this moment, from this acute desire right now. And he moves it to look at the bigger picture. He says, this is just one small part of where I am leading you. It's just one small part of your, your, your history, your being, your significance isn't all wrapped up in whether you get an A on this test or not. It isn't all wrapped up on whether you get that promotion at that job or not. It isn't all wrapped. He says, it's a journey. I'm moving you in into this direction. But if you just stay stuck in that insular, your own closed off world, you don't move anywhere. That part of our life where we just feel stuck and we just like make our prayer life about our temporary on the spot things is what deadens our faith. It what makes faith feel inactive. It what makes our relationship with God feel so inert. Because it's just about things that are here today and gone tomorrow. There is no movement. There is no full, bigger direction or purpose. It's just whether I get my thing today, yes or no. And Jesus says, it's a lot bigger than this. So the very first thing that he teaches us, he says, as moving your eyes from me, 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 I want this. He says, move it to our Father who art in heaven. He says, move your eyes from insular to up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I can trust you. You are holy. You are better than my best days. He says, move it up. And as, as your eyes move up, he says, your perspective should be this. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. Not my agenda, not my things, not that your things are not important. They are important. Jesus said it. They're important. God cares about it. But he's saying, lift your eyes from your insular to the bigger thing that God is doing around you. And see why you are so significant, not just in your own life, but to this greater movement. You know, um, I, I put a picture up. Um, can we go back to the lamp picture? I'm not sure if it'll... Yeah, there we go, yeah. So I thought that this kind of best illustrated this whole Lord's Prayer. And when you go into prayer, just think about this picture. And I, and I hope that this picture will make sense as you're, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus was calling me to do. We all know how 
you know, oil lamps work, we all know how uh, fire continually breathes. It needs oxygen. So what happens if I, like, covered the top here with my hand? Or as Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl, right? Because as soon as I do, you guys all know what happens, right? The, the flame eats away at all the oxygen that is there, and then the flame goes out. The flame needs oxygen to survive. The flame is like our faith. It needs oxygen to survive. But when we stay just insular, it's like us putting that bowl on top of our faith. And we're always praying the same prayer. Give me this, give me this, give me this. And eventually, this flame in our life, this faith in our life, it begins to snuff out. Because there's nothing more to our relationship with God than things and getting things. This is why he says, open your eyes to your Father in heaven, and that lifts the bowl off of the top, where it brings, and it breathes new life, new oxygen, so it can continually burn and burn brighter. You see, when he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's exactly what this is. It's introducing new oxygen and into your faith. What is your will, God? What are you doing? How is your kingdom coming around me? And what is my part in that? That's breathing new oxygen and into your life. See, prayer can never, though, be done in isolation. There needs to be follow-through that happens in prayer. And that's what the next part of activating our faith practice comes in. Jesus talks about it in the very next passage in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Let me read it for you. He says this, So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, but if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, after we pray, our prayer is not we shut the door after we do our private prayer, go out, and then live again in our reality. What Jesus mentions here is he's saying there's treasures in our life that we need to fund, and we choose which treasures we will fund. And whatever we fund in into, those things become increasingly more important to our life. You see, here, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and he says, open my eyes, open my heart to what you are doing, we are basically asking God, reveal your treasure, your kingdom treasure to me. Get my heart excited, catalyze my faith once again about what you are doing and what brings me joy in life. You see, prayer now presents us a different treasure to live for based on the treasures that we are currently living for in our reality. The challenge that we have, it activates our faith. 
we choose either as we pursue God's treasure, our faith increases, more oxygen is poured in, and our prayer life begins to increase as well. Or we go the other direction where we put a bowl on top of our, our life, and we just continually fade away in our relationship with God because it's only about materialistic or temporary things. You see, we have to consider for ourselves, what treasures do we live for? Is it a heavenly one or an earthly one? See, heavenly ones, where Jesus mentions in the Lord's Prayer, is he says, it's kingdom focused. It's what's God doing, not what I'm doing. That's a heavenly treasure. What is God doing rather than what am I doing or what am I pursuing? You know, these treasures will differ for each and every one of us, and it differs in our seasons as well. But they activate our life for that season. It, it brings us new life. It brings us closer to what God is doing and how he wants to activate that part of our faith in that season of our, in that season of our life. You know, many years ago, um, when I was still serving in Korea, uh, one of the outreach ministries that I was a part of, and I was doing youth ministry at that time, uh, one of the um, outreach ministries that we did was we visited shut-in seniors. So seniors who are, uh, don't have family, um, their family has either abandoned them or they have passed away. And so these seniors, they live in the basement rooms of some of these houses that are in, you know, I guess you could say challenged districts in Korea. And so they almost never go out because they have health issues. Um, they can't, they're very frail. And that's why they're called like shut-in seniors is because they rarely go out. People don't know that they are there unless you actually go and seek them out. And so we had four shut-in seniors that uh, we decided that we wanted to visit. We talked with the city. The city hooked us up with these four people. They saying, these people have no one that visits them. And so if you could go and visit them, um, it would really encourage them and it would really uh, bless them. And so we just said, okay, we did it. And then we started with a lot of youth. So I think the first day that we went out, I brought 20 youth with us. There were so many, we divided up into groups of five and we went into the four different houses separately. But over the years... By the time we got into our fourth year, the numbers began to dwindle, 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 dwindle until there was only maybe one or two that was accompanying me. And so at that time, I would have to visit all four with the one or two that were with me. I was getting busy too. And by the end of the fourth year, beginning of the fifth year, um, my, my position at our church, it moved from youth ministry uh, pastor to then director of the international ministries, including adult children, Japanese, Chinese, and foreign workers. And, you know, that promotion was a big deal for me. I was like, wow, I have, like, this title, these new responsibilities. I'm getting promoted. And I was just getting so busy with my life that I couldn't find time to visit these seniors. I was going on a monthly basis, but I kept making these excuses saying, oh, my goodness, it's so busy. I don't think I can make it this month. So I would skip this month, and I would skip another month, and I would skip another month. And I kept skipping. And then finally, when I was around four or five months in from visiting the seniors that we were going to consistently for the past four and a half years, there's this kind of nagging feeling that was on my heart where God was saying, 
you need to visit. You have to visit. And I was trying to rationalize my way out of it, saying, God, not this month. I'm, it's just really busy. Right? And I got to do all these kind of things. And it was easier for me to make these rationalizations because I wasn't close with them. You see, if I kept up going, it would rekindle this heart of why this is important. But because I was in my own world doing my own things, this became easily dismissed. I could easily put it off because I'm not close to it anymore. I'm not proximate to it, to it anymore. But finally, that overwhelming sense got so strong that I decided, you know what, I have to go. No, none of the youth were available to go with me, so I just went by myself. And then as I w went in, one of the seniors that we were visiting, it was, an, um, it was a grandmother living with her daughter. The grandmother had a little bit of physical challenges, but the granddaughter, uh, her daughter had a lot. Her daughter had not only mental challenges, but also had physical challenges as well, severe uh, every time we would visit this grandmother, she would always say two things to our group that was with her. She would, as soon as we come in and we give our greetings and we sit down with her, she'd always say, number one, she said, I'm so glad you are here. You're like my family. Right? Said, no one visits me like you guys. You are like my family. And the second thing that she would share near the end, was she just saying, what am I going to do? She would kind of like beat herself or beat her leg. And she's saying, what am I going to do? And I said, what do you mean, what are you going to do? And she says, what am I going to do? Because if I die, who's going to take care of my daughter? That was her concern. Every month that she went, always, you're like my family. I'm so happy you're here. And then what am I going to do? If I die and when God takes me away, who's going to take care of my daughter? So this same grandma that we're always visiting, we, we went in, oh, I went in, knocked on the door, she opened it, and I just came in, and because of my own kind of like desire to be a blessing and, you know, bring all of my happiness that I could bring, because I haven't seen her for five months, uh, I went in, and in a loud voice, I said, hello, you know, I'm here, right, it's been a long time, I'm so sorry, I've been away for a long time, haven't I, right, and so I just bowed, and I sat down, and her face was downcast, it was grim, and I could tell she's trying to be happy and, and greet me, but she was just having a lot of trouble, and so I just looked at her, and I asked her, you know, grandmother, what's going on, what's wrong? And then she broke down, and she said, my daughter died last month. See, my, my heart was all about me. Man, I'm so proud. I was so busy, right? And, you know, I made it out to her, and my enthusiasm that I have in greeting her, hello, I'm here, right? Your long lost, you know, adopted, uh, you know, son that's come to greet you and aren't I such a blessing to your life? You know, that kind of mindset was quickly diminished as I realized, man, how selfish I am. And as she was sharing, my, my daughter died last month. The next thing that she said was, I felt so alone. No one was at the funeral, and I came back into my room, and just silence that's around me. She said, it was so quiet. 
So I began to pray to God saying, God, I'm so alone. Why is this happening? You know, one of the things that she shared with me is she said at that, at that place, she said, God, I want to know what you are doing. You know, what are you doing? And she said, you know what happened after I prayed that prayer? This weekend, you showed up. And she said, I felt like God answered my prayer. He saw me, my loneliness. And he made you come to be with me. And because you are here, this is what she said, which really like shook me. She said, because you are here, I see that God actually answered my prayer. I went, what prayer? And she said, remember I kept saying, what am I going to do when I pass away? Who's going to take care of my daughter? I'm so sad. But now I realize God answered my prayer. He took my daughter first so that he can take care of her. And now I can die in peace. You know, when we become more sensitive in prayer where it's not about my prayer request, because that's exactly what I was doing. I was so busy in those four months. My prayers became so insular. God, give me wisdom. How do I lead this? Or are there some issues going on with the Chinese, Japanese, and the foreign, um, um, foreign workers ministry? And I got to figure it out. I'm the one responsible. I got to do all these kind of things. And then God, help me. I have my, you know, my young kids, my family that I need to take care of. Or God, help me with my expenses and all these other things that I need to take care of. And God, I'm now being raised up and groomed to be the new uh, director. Help me to make a good impact and to increase my stock in this church. You know, all my prayers were so insular. It was just about me. And what the challenge that God gave me through this is he's saying, see, sometimes we need a break from our insular prayers of saying, God knows that we need that. He's not dismissing it. He knows that we need it. But he's saying, at times, we need to lift our eyes from ourselves to something that is bigger. He says, start praying this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, it moves our hearts and it moves our mindset from my kingdom, my will, to God's will, God's kingdom. See, God's kingdom issues, it becomes our treasure. And once it becomes our treasure, we begin to value it. And as we value it, we begin to fund it. We put our energy into it. We put our money into it. We put our heart into it. We put our joy into it. And this is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, what are we funding in our life? Because whatever we are funding, and if, if we are insular in our funding, that's where our heart is. He's not condemning it. He's just saying that's just the way human nature works. We automatically become insular. We automatically become self-centered. And so he teaches his disciples, God knows your needs. God wants to help provide those needs. He gets it. And this is why in, when we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, 
Again, Jesus reminds them, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do not sow or weep or are store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add, um, add a single hour to your life by worrying? See, God was reminding his people, he was saying, God knows you know these things and he wants to give it to you. But he says, but when you pray, start praying this because these kind of things will be provided. Look how he continues on. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then what? Does he say, and then good for you because you're righteous. Good for you, good and faithful servant. No, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, see all these things that are on your heart that you want and that you need. God says, I will take care of this. What's God saying? He's saying, you fund my kingdom purposes. And then God's promises, he says, and I will fund your life. You see, that's the way God's economy works. He says, fund my kingdom purposes because that's what brings us joy. That's what brings us hope. That's what renews our spirit. That's what changes not only our heart but the world. And he says, as you do this, you know all this other stuff that's important to you? He says, I will fund this. That's the promise. I will fund your life. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, God's not trying to take away. He's, just, he's not trying to say sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. He's just trying to say have a proper value of life. He says live this way. It's the most life-giving way to live. It brings purpose to why we do what we do. Why you're at your job, why you have your finances, why you have your resources, why you have your family background, why you have everything. He says this all funds God's kingdom work. But when we funnel it and into just our stuff, our purposes, that gets old very quickly. This is why a lot of us, we always feel like what's next in our life. We always feel dead in our hearts. Because we were meant to be funded by this. We were meant to be life-giving presence like this. But we're just using all of our energy to fund our own acute needs. And he says, that never satisfies us. Because we were created for so much more. So, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this. Here are two things. As we continually confess and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Here are the fruits that I want to encourage you with. Two things. Number one, prayer. We all know how to pray. We pray while we're driving. We pray while we're walking with um, our friends. We pray while we eat. But I want to challenge you in this. Keep praying the way that you pray. Right? You don't need to change that. But here's the challenge. This time now, Set aside one day of the week in your normal habit of prayer. Set aside one day of the week. Make it Mondays, for example. Just say, on Mondays, my prayer would be the disciples' prayer. Instead of saying, here are my needs, here are the urgent things that I have, just on Monday, 
open yourself up a little bit more. Take that bowl off your lamp and just lift your eyes to heaven and ask God, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. What is that? What are you doing around me? Help me connect with that. Open your life to what God is doing. And here's the second thing. The second thing is take one step towards funding God's kingdom treasure. You see, when your eyes are open, the Holy Spirit will begin to convict you about this is what you need to do to start funding it. This is what you need to do to start investing in it. What is that one thing? And start there. For some of us, it might be something as simple as, you know what? I'm not consistent on Sundays. Have to be consistent on Sundays. Great. Start there. You're funding it. You're bringing proximity. You're hearing God's word in a communal setting where he says, where two or more gather my name, there I am with you. God can do a great work in this space. For some of us who need to be more consistent, let's make that our consistency. Let's fund that. For some of us, it might be a, a smaller group community, your life group. We need to be a bit more consistent there. We need to carve out space in our life. So fund that. Fund praying for the people, the small group of people who are around you and being present for them as well. Others of us may be drawing near in fellowship. You know, as we meet together, we always meet in the same groups. Maybe God's saying, fund creating a culture that cares about others. So rather than just meeting our own friends at church after Sundays, where our mindset is every Sunday whenever I show up, I'm going to make it, make it a, a desire upon myself where I'm just going to intentionally just try to meet other people that I don't know and just ask them, how are you doing? Here's my name, right? Here's who I am, right? And get to know the other person and care about the other person's life. For some of us, it actually might mean actually drawing near or funding through offering. Some of us, we have a hard time parting with our money, hard time trusting God with offering. And that might be the time where God's saying, I want you to learn how to trust me more. For some of us, it may be praying for others. We haven't prayed for others in a long time because our prayer is self-occupied. And then how about serving? There's so many different places where you can serve, you can meet a need. And only your eyes, your heart, can actually see the area that can be a blessing. You know, for some of us, I'm talking about whenever I go up and lead worship. For some of us who say, man, <laughs> worship's the worst, right? Like, they're not professional. Or Eddie's not professional. Eddie's really bad. Then great. You know what that means? God put a musical spirit in your heart to identify bad music, right? And if it's bad music, instead of just saying, this is bad, this sucks, I'm going to a better place. No, use that gift. If you know how to do it, if you know what it's supposed to sound like, show me. Show us. Bless us. For some of us, we want to say, you know, we had JJ come up, and he's trying to bring us into Pentecostal worship with the way, you know, flag waving and everything at, at, at the front. I don't know why Vicky tried to grab him. We should just let him do it, right, and just uh, let him do flag For some of us, it might be toddlers or children. You see that, and you're like, wow, that's cute, right? I, I, I need, you know, I'd love to help out, or I'd love to be, you know, there and just help raise a child's identity in Christ. You know, you can talk with Kat. 
right, as, as we're going to have a growing children's ministry. You know, there's so many different areas that you can serve. Where is that heart of yours? And if there's an area where you feel like in this church this is missing, that's where you start. Just step out there and fund that faith. Activate it. And when you do, you'll find your eyes being lifted to heaven because I promise you, it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy at times. And that's when you lift your eye, God, help these people. (laughs) I'm trying to serve this church in this kind of way and it's really hard. And we're saying, but your kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying that and into this space. And I promise you, it will grow beyond that. It won't just be at church. You'll start seeing it at your workplace. You'll start seeing it in your homes. You'll start seeing it in your social social, um, uh, activities that you do. Pray the Lord's Prayer at least once a week. And fund your faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time. And I ask in Jesus' name that you will challenge our hearts. Will you challenge our minds, Lord? Help us, Father Lord, to connect with you. At this time, I want to invite each and every one of us. And if you're online as well, please join us in this prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. I want you to pray through it slowly. And especially that first part, our Father in in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pause there and allow... Let the Holy Spirit reveal what that may mean. He may bring things to your mind that you were a part of before and you let it go. And he's calling you to revisit that. But pray, open up yourself. Saying, Lord, I want to hear. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's make that our prayer right now. Let's pray. have an idea, an inkling of what that thy kingdom come means for you. Ask God for a tangible way, one tangible small step to begin to fund that treasure. So just pray, Holy Spirit, put it on my heart. What do you want me to do? Let me take one baby step towards you at this time and saying, yes, Lord, I'll do this. Let's pray together.
Father, I thank you so much that you reminded us today that our Father in heaven knows our needs, knows everything that we need, and you want to give it to us. And because we have that taken care of and we know that you have our back, we can seek first your kingdom. We can seek first your righteousness. Because as we fund your kingdom purposes, you fund our lives to make that possible. Father, may we live in your presence, in your strength, in your direction with eyes that see what you are doing. And it may bring a newness, a revitalization to our faith. May it activate us, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.